Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, welcome to another Arsblog Arscast on Arsblog.com. And with me, the guy from Arsblog. It's a bumper edition this week. Uh, loads and loads and loads to talk about and to get through between now and the end, which can't come soon enough, I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, between now and then, we will have the usual uh, man in the bar. We'll have Arsene Wenger Hawkins here. I'll be talking to Amy Lawrence from The Observer. Also to Nigel Phillips uh, from the Arsenal Supporters Trust, uh, given the fact that all kinds of crazy things have been happening with Arsenal shares uh, over the last few days. So that's all to come between uh, now and then. Um, it hasn't, as you're all aware, been a tremendously good time recently uh, in terms of the football. But let us not dwell on the dark things. Let us not mope around like like goths and write dark poetry about how our souls feel all twisted and torn and why can't everything be good again? We can't do that. We have to think positive. That's what I'm thinking. And if nothing else, the Arscast should be about entertainment and not wallowing in our own misery. Perhaps a little wallowing in our own filth every now and again, but that's, that's something entirely different. Easter weekend, despite all the chocolate and the bunnies and all that sort of stuff, footballistically... Um, if such a word exists, and it it does exist because Arsene made it up one day. Um, it wasn't good. West Ham, at home last Saturday, uh, we made lots and 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 very, very, very lots of chances. Unfortunately, we didn't score any of them. And once again, West Ham took advantage of the Arsenal Achilles heel, if you will, of letting the opposition score with their only chance of the game. It's remarkable quite how often that's happened this season. Um, so one can only think that perhaps there's a curse upon our team or our stadium. Do they all happen at one particular end? I seem to remember in my head, maybe I'm wrong here, but the end that West Ham scored in is the end that nearly every team has scored in. Perhaps some brainiac stats boffin type guy can email arscast at arsblog.com and set me straight on that one or, or say, yes, by God, you're right. That particular goal mouth could be cursed. In which case, in which case, the only option is an exorcism. The power of Christ will compel that goal to prevent goals being let into that goal. Uh, then, of course, we went to Newcastle and um, nil-nil and didn't create lots and lots and lots and lots and very, very, very lots of chances at all. 
a little scrambler that was cleared off the line towards the end of the game, but that was about the size of it. Not much fun, I have to say. Uh, one point from six over the over the Easter, when really we, we probably should have taken six. Oh, well, a normal Arsenal team, would you'd fancy to take six. Uh, but this is no normal Arsenal team. Confidence is low, performances are low. We just have to hope that they can get things back on track between now and the end of the season and address all the troubles that we have uh, when that time comes, sometime over the summer. And I would suggest uh, flaying a number of the players, um, possibly in the week coming up to uh, the Bolton game. Uh, if I was Arsene Wenger, I would have flayed somebody and then rolled them in salt as an example, as a lesson uh, to the others so they can see what's expected of them. And if they don't perform... This is what's going to happen. See that guy screaming on the floor over there? That could be you. But we all have our different management styles. Coming up at the weekend, we've got Bolton. And we have to beat Bolton. And I'll have a quick chat about that uh, a little later on in the show. So there you go. Anyway, uh, let's, given the fact that um, people want to talk about Arsenal a lot at the moment and and try and get some examination of, of where we are and how we're doing and how we can fix things and, you know, is it the worst thing in the world? What's happening to us at the moment? Let's get a, a, a non-Arse blog perspective, a reasoned perspective, I suppose, uh, from the observers, Amy Lawrence, in this week's blog chat. Uh, the first of this week's blog chats, because there's another one coming. Stay tuned. Right now on the Arsecast, we welcome back Amy Lawrence from The Observer. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? I'm fine. Football-wise, things could be better, though, couldn't they? Uh, Arsenal have... It's a joy this spring, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we haven't won since Villa. We, we don't look like scoring. We've had a very disappointing Easter weekend with two performances, I suppose, that were a bit yin and yang. The, the lack of goals is, is a real worry, isn't it? And, and maybe the question we need to ask is, is whether or not uh, the team is just in bad form or whether some of the players... You know, aren't good enough. Possibly a bit of both in certain cases, but the other thing to bear in mind is that I do think that one of the team's problems, and it has been a problem since gradually a lot of the big characters have left the team over the last few years, is that there is a, a rather worrying lack of personality on the field. Um, a friend of mine sent a text message during the Newcastle game which simply said, who are these players? And I empathise with the thought in the, in the idea that you didn't really sort of recognise anything of a tradi- what you might hope of a traditional Arsenal performance um, in that there was so little fight, there was so little character, there was so little of anybody trying to make anything happen. It was just a real end of season game of players going through the motions but you think well hang on a second we, there is no way that anybody can afford to have end of season games at this moment aside from the fact that certain players ought to be fighting for their futures um, obviously fourth place is paramount and the form is so bad that should it continue that won't happen so the, the personality thing is a problem but I think part of that is down to fatigue and I think there are certain players like Colo Torre uh, and Fabregas, prime examples, and I'd probably include Gallas in that, although I know some people have question marks about him. I think they'll see a different Gallas next season. They are personality players, but I think, certainly as far as Torre and, and Fabregas are concerned, they're just dead on their feet. And they've put so much into earlier stages of the season when there was so much resting on their shoulders that now that the, the, the adrenaline has gone down because there's nothing to pay for anymore, they're finding it very, very difficult to lift not just the others in the team, but even themselves. So it's a problem because the team is crying out for leadership, which 
in many ways, you look back at the days when everybody debated the merits of Thierry Henry being the captain, and, you know, some people still don't fancy that much as an idea, but, my God, you'd give your right arm probably for Thierry Henry to to be a, a, a leadership figure on the field at the moment. Okay. Um, I suppose when you talk about... Uh Colo and Fabregas and possibly Galas being tired or fatigued, isn't it then paramount that other players in the team uh, uh, step up and, and take over the mantle a little bit? And I'm talking maybe about uh, the likes of, of Baptista, of Fleb, Rosicki, who are experienced players, who have supposedly proven quality, but have done little or nothing this season. That's exactly what I mean about personality players. Show me the personality in those guys. It's, you know, it's either very hidden or very fragile. Um, and when, in, and in these three cases, they're all experienced internationals and they're all players who have, uh, who have had fairly high-level careers in, in other leagues outside their own country um, and had the experience of adaptation and all that kind of thing. They've really shown no, no uh, charisma on the football field to, to be able to grasp a game by the scruff of the neck or, or, or turn around and say, well, I'm going to take responsibility for this. And in all honesty, some of the uh, opponents that Arsenal have played in recent weeks, it wouldn't have taken much. It wouldn't have taken much for somebody to have turned, turned something on against Newcastle because they were a very, very poor team as well playing at home. Uh, it wouldn't have taken much for uh, just that little bit extra against Newcastle. Um, you know, and, and we could go on. But uh, I just think it's... It's very easy to get incredibly um, desolate and, uh, and and fear for the worst and think, we're, you know, we're all doomed and the club's going to pot and it's all a disaster. And I, I, I really believe that this is just a, a one-off season of you know, particularly bad fortune and you cannot underestimate how much uh, it's taken out of the side to have Thierry Henry and Van Persie missing but I, I, I it's true it's times that of adversity when you look to people to step up and that's what successful Arsenal teams have done in the past and it is worrying that nobody's been able to do that and when I looked at the top goal scorer list the other day and and just before he got injured Van Persie was somewhere towards the top of that list and uh, with his 13 goals or whatever and now he's around sort of middle to the bottom of the, of the top goal scorers list and nobody has even from Arsenal has even got anywhere close to it it's just been this stagnation um, and you know there's, it's something that obviously the manager's got to address and either he's got an incredible loss of patience and vision and still sees something in the Baptistas and Aliadiers and whatever or he doesn't and we'll learn and they will move on and new players will come in okay that's what that's the point i was going to make to you next is that given the fact we're so reliant on on two players for our goals uh, it is something that he that he has to address. I mean, I, I know people have spoken about Cesc, and uh, at the same time, I'd say he's 19, and, and you didn't see Lampard or Gerrard score an awful lot of goals from central midfield at 19, but uh, throughout... It's a wide player, so it's more, it's more the Hlebs and Rosicki that I've got Exactly. To but, I mean, the, the point uh, that some people will make is that Hleb and Rosicki are, are, are number 10s. They're not necessarily wide players. They're being played out of position. I'm not sure I'd even call Hleb a number 10, to be quite honest with you. I think I'd call him something else, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, 
Now, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, that Wenger has had a tendency of trying to sort of force people to be wingers. Um, he's, he's, he's not since really, in a way, Mark Overmars has he had a sort of really traditional orthodox winger. I mean, even Pires could really play anywhere. And Freddie uh, certainly wouldn't consider himself a, a winger um, for most, you know, when he, before he turned up or in his international career. So it's a, it's a sort of funny foible uh, of Angus, really. But he would argue that when it when it, it worked, uh, winning the league, going a season unbeaten, or reaching Champions League final or whatever, didn't matter. Sure enough, um, people have obviously been rather upset about what's happened over the last few days, and and have uh, suggested that maybe Arsene has has gone past his uh, gone past his best. Uh, could there could there uh, be comparisons drawn with Sir Alex Ferguson, who? Uh, to many United fans, uh, when they finished, you know, third for two or three seasons running, uh, also suggested he was past his best, and, and look where they are now. Absolutely, I think I, I, I've laughed actually at some of the, um, the the arguments for Wenger coming to the end of his reign, and I, I think that's quite quite risible. I, I don't think there are many many managers who would be able to come into the situation that the club is in right now. Um, and make a better fist of things. There are two important subplots, if you like, to this season, which people don't necessarily factor into it too much. And that is, first of all, moving into a new stadium. And there are very, very few clubs in the world that move stadiums and have a fabulous season straight away. There is always that period of adjustment to new surroundings and feeling at home. And the second thing is is the money. And people who are writing out these shopping lists of you know, Ribéry and Babel and a, a Buffon and this one and that one, are right now as we stand living in a bit of a fantasy land because as far as I understand it, there is no money and uh, it's really a sort of um, sell-to-buy situation. So uh, right now, providing nothing that we don't uh, know about changes at the club, I don't think in the summer there's going to be the kind of mass movement that people hope for unless we manage to ship a few out and maybe cash in. Um, and that's a very, very questionable situation. So one thing I would say is that if this American takeover is a possibility, it might be something that, even though a lot of people are very afraid of it, is more welcome than people think because it might well give the cash injection that the club really does need at the moment. So given the circumstances that it's, it's not cash-rich at the moment, there is no possibility of competing with the major clubs in England and even in Europe for talent right now. Um, it's it's got to be this way with the kids. And, uh, you know, that's why it's so important to try and get it right when you do si- sign a player for big money. So therefore, it's been so disappointing to see Reyes, who was a big, big signing at 15 million, not come off. And Leb, who was a big signing at 10 million, in my opinion, not really come off either. Um, it's important to get those big signings right. Okay. Um, let's look ahead then to, to Bolton. Well, let's look forward to Bolton. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, let's look ahead rather than forward yeah, yeah. in any sense of uh, excitement. Um, because uh, it really is a crucial game, isn't it? And it could ne- make or break the season. If we win, we get a, a bit of daylight between us and them. And a win against City would, would, would really give us a, a good a good lead. Uh, but if we draw or lose, it does 
make the rest of the season pretty hairy, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think even a draw wouldn't be the very, very end of the world. A defeat would be pretty catastrophic, um, as much as anything else, for what it would do to morale. And, you know, obviously winning the Bolton game would be fantastic, but I think Arsenal have got to probably win all their home games and maybe pick up something in one away game to to be absolutely sure of uh, of fourth place. But that should be doable. I mean, even a, a run that's that's ordinary rather than fantastic. But the question is, at the moment, from being on a terrible run, how do you get on an on an ordinary run? Um, I mean, it's a the one thing I, is that if you compare the last two performances, there was an absolute chasm between what Arsenal put showed for in the West Ham game and what Arsenal showed at Newcastle. And the uh, actually, the, if you look at it again in the cold light of day, the West Ham game was not a bad performance by Arsenal and probably comparable to a lot of decent games earlier on in the season when form wasn't bad. And, you know, it's the same old problem everybody's seen a million times before. You get punished by the one mistake and not clinical enough at the other end. But at least the performance was there. The players were actually playing quite positively. Everybody was trying to look to get forward. People were actually having shots, which in itself was a turn up. Um, and, you know, a similar kind of approach, you'd like to think the team can't be that unlucky two games running at home. Having said that, you probably wouldn't expect to have the same freedom to attack or get the same joy trying to break down Bolton as you would West Ham. So... Um, it's really going to be a, a crunch game, but they've had a lot of crunch games lately and not not quite delivered Arsenal. So you know, it's about, it's about time the players just took a bit of a long look at themselves in the mirror maybe this week and said, we need to show our personality. We need to all go out there and make it count. We need to all provide something to this team that is going to ensure a win. And They've got the quality, but you can just see the lack of confidence in the body language. And Martin Wenger said before that confidence is the hardest thing to gain and the easiest thing to lose. Fingers crossed, then, because mm-hmm. I, I'm lighting candles and all sorts. <laughs> um, honestly, uh, I, I think probably what we need is, um, you know, we we need to fluke a goal from somewhere, and that's it's a terrible thing to say about Arsenal at the moment. Is that really you can't see uh, who's going to score or or when they're going to score or how they're going to score? Um, I still think Adebayor is a is a guy who can provide goals. I think he's had a bit of an unlucky run, and I think, for example, in the Liverpool game, Adebayor I thought played really well and deserved more out of that yeah. in, from his individual performance. And although he had a bit of a stinker against Newcastle. Um, he still he still is dangerous, and he is the kind of player that, provided you keep managing to feed him, you know, the odd chance, you'd like to think that sooner or later he, he'll put one away. But again, against the Bolton defence, that's going to be probably a, a, quite a big ask. I'm hoping for a for a Campo on goal off his arse. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be nice. Yeah, well, Amy, thanks a million. We'll talk to you on another Arsecast very soon. Cheers. Thank you uh, to the always interesting Amy Lawrence from The Observer uh, for some uh, good stuff there on the blog chat. Um, the point about no money. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, That's going to put a lot of people's noses out of joint because um, how are they going to get their shopping list together? 
Quaresmas and Tevezes and, and Ribéries and Buffons and, and solid gold-plated midfielders. How are we going to afford them with no money? We'll have to sell some players. Who will we sell? That is for another Arscast. Now, uh, earlier in the week, I decided that because of the, the difficulties we're having scoring goals, uh, a little bit of uh, learning, relearning, re-education was in order. So I went to the Arsenal training ground and I asked... Jeremy Aliadier, if he could teach us how to score a goal. Hello, my name is Jeremy Aliadier. Today I'm going to teach you how to score a goal in football. It's very simple. Uh, the first thing that you need to do is... Uh, uh, oh. Hey, Julio! Julio! I will ask my friend Julio Baptista uh, if he knows how to score. Julio, uh, how you score a goal in football? Oh. Uh, Freddy, do, do you remember how to score a goal in the football? Uh, no, I don't really know, to be honest. Okay, uh, Emmanuel Adebayor, uh, can you tell me um, how, how tell the people how to score the goal? I don't know. Uh, I wish I knew how to score the goal, because then I'd score the goal and we could win the game, but I don't know how to score the goal anymore. It happened so long ago that it's like uh, Noah's Ark or something. I don't know how. Uh, this is uh, very disappointing. I suppose I have to talk to uh, the last person to score a goal for Arsenal, uh, uh, which is, of course, William Gallas' penis. Uh, hello, William Gallas' penis. Hello, Jeremy. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Uh, tell me, uh, William Gallus's uh, penis, uh, how is it uh, to score a goal in the football? Jeremy, it's very simple. You must be proud and direct. But most important, you must get into the box at exactly the right time. Merci beaucoup, penis to William Gallas. This is how we score the goal, everybody. With your penis. Well, with William Gallas' penis. He's going to... Boss, Arsene, this week you play William Gallas' penis up front. Exclusive access to the Arsenal training ground comes only on the Arsblog Arscast, the only Arsenal-related podcast that actually knows the names of our players. It's true. Now, 
A lot has been happening, and there's been a huge amount of speculation about the future of the club in terms of who's going to be running it, who's going to own it, what's going to happen with the shares. Are we ripe for a takeover? Are the current board going to sell up and move out? Uh, will Stan Kroenke buy uh, Danny Fisman's shares, which will give him uh, more than 29.9% of the club, which will mean he'll have to uh, make a, uh, an offer for the rest of the club? It's interesting. Um, and there's a lot going on. And somebody who knows a lot more uh, than me about all this is Nigel Phillips from the Arsenal Supporters Trust. I spoke to him yesterday uh, to find out what exactly is going on. Okay, now on the Arscast, uh, we welcome Nigel Phillips from the Arsenal Supporters Trust. Hi, Nigel. How are you, Arsenal? Uh, very well, thanks. Uh, I, I, there's a lot of speculation around. We've seen ITV's 9.9% go to Stan Cranky. Um, and it looks like he's got 11.26% of, of the club now. From the Supporters Trust uh, point of view, what exactly do you see happening here? Well, the first thing to say is that we're not totally opposed to any new people coming into the club. We're not anti-takeover or anything like that. The key thing, as far as we're concerned, is what are the intentions of the, the people who, who are coming in? And I think most people realise the club needs new investment in one form or another. So until we can actually sit down or anyone can sit down or Cronky explains what his overall plans are, then it's, it sounds like a cop-out to be sitting on the line, but it's difficult to have, have any proper view. And I think until he's, he's increased his stake above the 11.26% he's got at the moment, he's probably going to be keeping any opinions he's got to himself and we understand he is a as a private individual anyway, um, as to his overall plan. But rest assured, there is an overall plan because uh, serious business people don't invest 65 million sterling in any business and sit there and not uh, not work it at all. So clearly a lot more to happen. Which form is going to take, unclear at this stage. Um, it was interesting to read the, the chairman, Peter Hillwood, um, who has in, in previous uh, episodes of the Arscast said that, number one, the club don't need investment and they wouldn't welcome any kind of a takeover. But what he said was that there was, uh, despite the uh, connection between uh, the two groups uh, with the Colorado Rapids partnership, there was no contact from Kroenke uh, about him buying the ITV shares. That's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? It's only, only a surprise in that clearly the guy wants to do his due diligence, he wants to understand the business, the business model, what, it, what he's actually getting into. So I totally believe there's been no formal contact with the board as a whole. But as, as I've pointed out before, the board is a collection of individuals who hold a, a large shareholding in their own names. And there's nothing to say that they, they're great mates or anything like that, or they just sit down once a month in the board meeting. But Cronky uh, is clearly a very smart man. Um, he has got a lot of backing. His, his wife is probably twice as rich as he is from her connection with Walmart. So there is more to come. But also the fact that when ITV wanted to dispose of their shares, they didn't have to pre-approve whoever the buyer was with, with Arsenal. They could have sold them down the street to anyone they wanted to, and Arsenal just have to accept that. There, was, there were no preemption rights for the club to, to block or to have any say whatsoever in who they went. My only surprise is that the chap hasn't been to look all over the books, but he hasn't done a takeover yet. He's got 11.3%. So um, rest assured, the will, he will be wanting to know a bit more about 
which direction the club is going. The other thing about needing a new investment, the, the chairman does come out with these party lines, but I think if you look at the figures and you understand exactly how Arsenal have managed to build the new stadium, then a lot of current and future revenues from the Emirates, from Nike, from the boxes, from the catering company, have all been taken pretty much up front. So the, the club at the moment is in a bit of a, a cash squeeze, which is clearly impacted on the investment or lack of them in the playing, playing side of things. Okay. Um, when we spoke previously, um, you said that it would take one of uh, the main shareholders, i.e. Danny Fisman, uh, David Dean or, or Lady Bracewell-Smith, uh, to sell their shares. Uh, there's a lot of rumours going around that, that it's Danny Fisman that's, um, that's looking to get out. You would think, though, after putting so much work into creating the new stadium and, and all the uh, all the investment of time that went into that, it would be a strange time for him to get out, no? no absolutely. I mean, the, uh, the sale of his, his personal property in Hampstead for a cool £20 million is also uh, another sign that maybe he is relocating or spending more time in, uh, in Geneva or wherever he's based in Switzerland. The fact that he actually sold those 700 shares to Kroenke a couple of weeks ago is an indication that, that clearly he, he is amenable at the right price. Um, but if he were to sell all his current shareholding to Kroenke, and Danny now owns just over 24%, that would take Kroenke over the magic 29.99% of the club, at which stage he would have to make a full offer for all the issued shares. And we don't think at the moment he's probably got all his finances and everything in line to do that. So it doesn't mean that he wouldn't he wouldn't buy another 18% to take him to that 29.9 or do a deal with Lady Mina or David Dean to get him just under that 30% threshold. So I think he's playing quite a cagey game as to where his actual alliances are. But the other thing we mustn't forget is the success of any football club is inextricably ties to what actually goes on on the field. So you need the football supremo, the brains on and off the field. And I don't think anyone can doubt that the David Dean, Arsene Wenger relationship has been phenomenally successful for the club. And I would have thought that the any new person coming in, certainly if they are from outside the current sport, would would need to be protecting something like, like that sporting director and tactical coach, manager, call them what you like, as much as possible. So there is a school of thought to say this will be the time for David Dean to reclaim his top position in the club because the club now is about on-the-field success because the, the financial upheaval and the, the legal planning process to get to the new stadium has happened and is about turning it back to football. And the days of talking about it being a property development company as much as a football club will be behind us by the time the hi hybrid development has been completed, which I'm told or led to believe should be booked before the end of 2009. So maybe then we will have the football club back. And yes, it will be maximising all its revenue streams and everything else, but it will be about football, 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 and investment in the team and taking on all those Champion League semi-finalists. <laughs> uh, it's all very interesting, Nigel. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Thanks a million for talking to me today. Many thanks. Bye. So there you go. We are, as yet, 
Uh, none the wiser, but it does seem as if uh, we Jimmy Cranky, Stan Cronky, Crinky, 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 is going to buy Arsenal at some stage. Whose shares is he going to buy? Not mine. Not mine. You're not having my shares. Unless, of course, you reach that magical figure where everybody has to sell their shares to you. And, and the other thing is, I don't actually have any Arsenal shares. Hmm. Hmm. Of, of course, if any board members are listening and, and you know, they don't want uh, to deal with this kind of hassle, by all means, send me your shares. I'll mine them for you. I'll put them in a drawer and I'll make sure that nobody gets anywhere near them. And when it comes to takeovers, I'll deal with all the, the terrible things like, like you know, putting all that money in the bank and, and retiring and, and, and sitting by the pool sipping uh, pina coladas and, and mojitos and other slightly gay drinks but you know the things i'm prepared to do for arsenal football club that is how much love is in is in my heart and um, got an email during the week and again the emails have been uh, slack this week and i think that's because uh, life is not good and football is not good so people are just sort of you know wallowing in misery a bit so yeah i can understand uh, and and unfortunately uh, for mark um uh, the Savile Rogue sponsorship is over, so he's not going to win a scarf for this, but he reckons we should pull an insurance scam. He says, on the last day of the season, the away trip to Portsmouth, on the way to the stadium, we should drive a replica team bus over a high cliff. It explodes into a million pieces in a thundering molten fireball, leaving nothing but unidentifiable chunks of smoldering meat, frazzled footy boots, and unfortunately, the designer, who, owned, who had the only copy of the design uh, for the new white shirt in his arse pocket. All gone! He says, we then claim the insurance money back and buy a brand new, hard-as-nails, shit-hot team, pay off the underachievers, ship them off to Newfoundland, which is as good a place as any, I have to say, and then Sesk, Danielson, Diaby, etc., come back as England under-19s, Tom Parks, John Balfe, and Tony Adamson. Sorted. It is just about worth it, I think. Slight hassle, maybe, setting the whole thing up, but, I mean, nothing good ever came easy, did it? It surely did not. Well, we won't go down that particular um, road. Now then, after being away for a week with uh, an illness, he lost his voice, as you might have heard last week, Arsene Wenger Hawkins is here. Hello. I am back after my recent illness. I thank you all for your cards, letters, and offers of penetrative sex. This weekend, Arsenal play Bolton, which means that my favorite ever person, Sam Allardyce, is in town again. I have to say I feel slightly bad about all the nasty things I've said about him in the past. At the end of the day, he's somebody's father, somebody's husband, grandfather to little children. Wouldn't the world be a better place if everyone was nicer to each other? If I had the chance, I would take him out for dinner to issue my apologies in person. We'd go to one of the finest restaurants in town where I would eat lobster and filly mignon and he could have pie and mash and gravy. A nice bottle of wine, some cognac after dinner and a nice cigar. Then as an extra special treat I would bring my new chum, Big Sam, to the London Eyewear, waiting for him, would be his favorite group of all time, Westlife. They would perform a medley of their greatest hits for him and he would sing along and clap like a seal and enjoy one of the nicest nights of his life. Then as our capsule on the London Eye got to the top I would move quickly, with my ninja-style reflexes, 
pick him up and hurl him through the glass. As he plummeted the 443 feet to his death I would stick my head out the window and say, Don't worry, Sam Allardyce, you're flying without wings. You can't. Oh yes. So there you go, Arsene Wenger Hawkins, back once again like the renegade master that he is. Uh, time for our bet of the week with thanks to bluesquare.com. Um, it's um, topical, I suppose. And if you don't have a Blue Square account, you can open one uh, via the Arsblog homepage, and Arsblog gets a couple of quid after uh, you're a member of Blue Square for about five years. So it is worth it for me, so please uh, bear that in mind. Uh, the bet this week uh, from Simon Wolf is a 1-10 to 10 for Arsenal to qualify for the Champions League, 6-1 to 1 Bolton, or 50-1 to 1 Everton. Hmm. I'm not sure too many people will be putting any money on that, to be honest. Uh, but uh, there you go. It's www.bluesq.com. Speaking of Bolton, we have them at the weekend. And they've always been a, a fairly bogey team um, for us. In the sense that they've had some good results against us. And that makes that makes us hate them. And as well as that, they've had some objectionable players down the years. They really have. Um they have some objectionable players now. And most of all, they have a very, very, very objectionable manager. And the thoughts of Bolton beating us into fourth place. No, 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 no. You know the way sometimes um, a manager might say something about an opposition team or, or a rival player might say something about an opposition team. And, and you hear stories of them. Well, we took that story out of the newspaper. And we pinned it up on the wall, and we used it as motivation and inspiration to go on and achieve a fantastic result. Well, if somebody could put this on a CD and give it to the Arsenal players before the uh, the game against Bolton, and all it is is me going, no, 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 about losing to Bolton. Do you think possibly they might use that as, as inspiration? Do you think? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But it's worth a try, isn't it? In this day and age, we've gone through many things uh, to try and uh, get a good result. Um, and uh, not many of them have worked in recent weeks, so this can't hurt. Um, so all you need to do is record me going, no, 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 and, and then just play it back on a loop. Maybe somebody should put it on a, to a nice techno beat or something like that. Or depending, you know, flamenco, or... I don't know. You be creative with it. I'm just a no guy. But they need to know that losing to Bolton on Saturday is not an option. Drawing with Bolton is really not an option either. We need them to kill Bolton. Like, kill them. Because that will rejuvenate the team. It will rejuvenate the fans. The idea of Bolton's limbless bloodied corpses lying across the pitch at the Grove on Saturday, it makes me a little bit aroused, I have to say. In a good way. In a good way. I'm not going to touch myself because I am a good Catholic. But, yeah. So tell them. Just tell them. This is what we need on Saturday. Arsenal goals, Bolton dead. Arsenal goals, Bolton dead. It's not too difficult. It's not too much to ask for either, I don't think. Anyway, look, let's go to the bar because the man in the bar is there with another player history. There's the old Lars blogger again. You know, I'm beginning to think these old player histories are causing a bit of kerfuffle and bad luck to the team because we haven't scored a goal since 1987. So perhaps a player who I always liked 
will bring us a bit of good luck, so to speak. I'm talking about the first ever Brazilian to play for Arsenal. His name was Silvino, or to give him his full name, Silvio Mendes Gloria Estefan Manu Chao Alfred Campos Jr. And he was brought up in the woods outside Sao Paulo by a pack of wolves, you see, after his parents lost him on a shopping expedition. And he spent 13 years being brought up like Romulus and Remus or whoever those fucking Romans were. Anyway, the point being, when he joined Corinthians in 1994, he thought his name was... Which it wasn't. And by the time he joined Arsenal in 1999, he could recite verbatim James Joyce's Ulysses. That's how well-read and educated he was. Now, in 1999, when he joined Arsenal, he came in for the old Nigel Winterburn, you see. And everyone loved him because of his little hair and the fact that he looked a little bit like a wolf. That for all those years in the forest with the wolves, you see. Uh, he scored a great goal against Chelsea and a great goal in a Champions League game in Moscow, I think it was. And, and then we lost that game 4-1. And anyway, this is supposed to be about good luck. But in 2001, a strange thing happened. It was discovered that the passport he had, which showed he had Italian or Spanish ancestry, which allowed him to play for Arsenal, was somehow taken away and replaced with one with none of that information whatsoever, which meant he could no longer come back to England at all. He went then that summer to Celta Vigo in Spain. And the, the terrible thing about that, you see is that it allowed a young fella called Ashley Cole to break into the Arsenal first team. And at first, everything was all right with Ashley Cole, but as we know, he turned out to be the biggest cunt in history. So you see, whoever fucked around with Silvino's passport is looking for the fucking back of my hand, so he is. Now he plays for Barcelona, in Barcelona, which is in Spain as well. And he doesn't like it there, you see. He doesn't. Because they're all cunts in Barcelona, let me tell you. I first-hand experience of that. In a recent interview, he was asked if he could go back to England and name any opponent that he played against. Who would it be? He thought for a while, and he said, Dean Sturridge. I don't know why. And the man in the bar will be back with another player history on next week's Arsecast. Um, that's just about it. All that remains for me to do now is to wish you a happy weekend, to wish you joy, prosperity, good health, and hope that Arsenal kicked the living fucking shit out of Bolton. Um, yeah, there's not much more to it than that, is there? There really isn't. We've got to keep everything crossed. Fingers, toes, um, William Gallus's penis, everything. Um... I'll leave that one to you, though. Until next week's Arshcast. Talk to you on the blog all week long. Have a great weekend. Bye.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 